Today I want to continue a series um, that I started last week, a series that we've simply been calling Vineyard Values. We have the word vineyard in our name, which is very confusing to a lot of people. Many people think that we are winery or something like that, and they're quite disappointed when they show up and we're just a church, right? But we're a vineyard, uh, we're part of the Vineyard Association of Churches. It's more or less our denomination. We like to refer to ourselves as a movement, but when you've been around for about 30 years, you have a governing board, you've got over 600 churches in the U.S. and another, you know, 1,000 to 1,200 churches internationally, you, you become a denomination. So in some ways, Vineyard is our denomination. And so what we've been focusing on um, throughout the series is our core values, our core values. We certainly have our own set of priorities as a church, and those priorities have been shaped by the community that we live in, but broader than that, we have a set of core values, and these values shape what we teach and what we preach here. These values uh, shape who we are, our, our identity, and then most uh, importantly, shape our practice, what we do, how we live things out. And lastly, last week, I highlighted the value of importance, and we're referring to uh, the importance, excuse me, of values. And so basically, we've been framing values as the unseen things that actually determine the strength of the structure of what you see. The unseen things, the hidden things, the internal things, the behind-the-curtain things that actually determine, shape, and inform what you see. Think about a foundation of a building. You never walked up to a structure and go, my goodness, look at that foundation. It's beautiful. Or, you know, walked up to a person and said, well, you, you have a great skeletal system. I can tell that you have a fantastic skeleton. You, you, did, you, you don't say that. If you, if you did say that, that would, be, that would be strange, right? Because those are the unseen things. And sometimes we tend to neglect the things that are unseen. But as it relates to our values... Um, what we think is important, what we prioritize, these things are the most important. And so it's so important for us to focus on our values. It's so important for you to know your values because your values will help you make your decisions. Your decisions will determine your quality of life. They will determine the general trajectory of your life. And so it's very important that you have good values. And since we believe that our value system uh, is largely influenced by the church that you go to, that the community of faith that you attach yourself to, so we also believe that it really matters what church you go to. I'll say that again. It really, really matters what church you go to because we view our kingdom communities like this. We, we view it as a family. And so I believe that the church that you choose to go to is as important as the family to which you were born. Sad thing is, sometimes you, you don't get to choose your family. I mean, if you got a great family, then fantastic. If you got some issues and some dysfunction, you know, that's, that's kind of too bad, but you don't get to pick that, right? But you do get to pick your church family, and my thinking is you, just, you might as well pick a good one. You might as well pick a transforming one. You might as well pick a life-giving one, right? Uh, but the values of an organization, particularly a faith community like this one, really, really matters. It's for this reason that we believe that you should put some thought into the church that you choose to go to. You shouldn't just go to the church that's closest to you unless you live around here and this church is closest to you. <laughs> no, I just think we get really lazy, right? We're going to send our kids to school. We research it for years. We want references. We want to talk to actual people, right? We find a new restaurant, we want to look it up, we want to check all the different ratings and all this sort of stuff, and when we decide to go to church, it's just like, well, I really like the color of that building. They had some nice new carpet in there. I guess I'll go to this one. And so I think it should be more important than proximity. Oh, this one was closer. I think it should be more important than, oh, it's a new facility. I think it should be more important than, I really like the music there. I think what we should be focusing on as we choose a community of faith is what is that church's values? What are they values? What do they believe? Not just what are they stated values, what are they actual values? What do they live out? And so over the next few weeks, we'll continue by highlighting our five core vineyard value. And, and this is for those of you who've called this place home, some of you for months, some of you for years, some of you have been with us from the very beginning. And it's helpful for you to remember and get a refresher 
on what we believe and why, what our values are, not only so you can internalize them, but so that you can articulate them to anybody who would ask. And also, there's a number of you who've been with us, some of you just for a few short weeks, some of you for a few months, and you like what you've seen on the surface, uh, but you really kind of want to know, hey, what is this church about? What do they really believe? What's their core? What's their essence? And so this is a really, really good sermon series for you to plug into. It's also helpful for you to know that all of our values are rooted in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, his ministry, his message, the example that he set. And so everything that we do and everything that we are flows and emanates out of the person and essence of Jesus Christ. And so last week we began this series by talking about our, our, our foundational value, the number one value, and that is the theology and the practice of the kingdom of God. And if you missed that last week, it might be helpful for you to go to our website and listen to last week's message, because it really, you know, without understanding the theology and practice of the kingdom of God, a lot of the other things that we value won't probably make sense to you, and so it's helpful to go back. But we talked about the theology and practice of the kingdom of God. We defined the kingdom of God as the realm or the sphere in which God is ruler, which God is in control. The kingdom of God is in a physical, geographical place. It's not a political realm, but rather it's a dynamic realm in which God is in charge. And God's kingdom rests in our hearts. We, through believing in Christ, basically become citizens of the kingdom of God, and we give God the right to rule and reign in our life. We also talked last week about the fact that when Jesus came to earth, he came and ushered in the power and the presence of the future age. When God, you know, Jesus comes back and and all the pain and suffering will cease, and we will be completely, completely free from all of the things that, that hold us down and keep us stuck. We believe that Jesus came and began to usher in and inaugurate the power and the presence of the future age. We also said that we also currently live alongside the power and the fallenness and the brokenness of this present evil age. And so we live now in the tension of those two ages where we live, where we experience God's power, but we don't quite fully see it, fully realize because we still live in the, in, in the, in the presence of this current e- evil age. And so we unpacked a lot about God's kingdom, but I want to continue today by talking about our second core value, and that is the value, the value of experiencing God experiencing God. We really value experiencing God. And this might be new to some of you because some of you are used to going to church. Some of you have been going to church your whole life. Your parents drug you to church. Some of your parents didn't drag you to church. They sent you to church, right? And so you had to be at church. And so this has become ritual. It's become routine. You figure this is what good people do. And so you go to church. But you can be in church your whole life and never have any meaningful experiences and meaningful interactions with the true and living God. And so when I talk about experiencing God as a core uh, value of the vineyard, uh, particularly this vineyard, I mean that God expects us to experience him. When we come into fellowship, when we come into the kingdom of God, this is a highly relational exchange between us and God or he wants us to regularly, regularly experience him. And so you might say, what does it mean to experience God? I didn't even know that God could be experienced. And so just a formal definition of experience, if you're talking about the verb, to experience something means just practical contact with or an active observation. You're interacting with something, right? But to, uh, uh, to you know, an experience, the noun is an event or an occurrence that leaves an impression on someone, right? So we're talking about something that's significant. We're talking about something that engages you, something that you remember, something that has an impact on you. God expects that we will experience him. And frankly, I believe that's one of the most exciting things about being in communion and relationship and fellowship with God is that we get to experience him. We get to enjoy him. We get to know him. Listen, how, what a bummer it would be for us to be ruled by God that's all-powerful, uh, that's all-knowing, that supposedly has a great plan for us, uh, but, but there wasn't some way for us to perceive him. There wasn't some way for us to experience him. There wasn't some way for us to, to be known by him and to know him. What a waste. What a waste. So it's got to be true that this God that loves us, this God that has a wonderful plan for our lives, doesn't matter what age you are. We have our kids in here today. Listen, doesn't matter what age you are. 
Doesn't matter your status. Doesn't matter how long you've been in church. Look, God's desire is for his people to experience him in a real and powerful way. This isn't some new idea that we've come up with either, by the way. The scriptures from cover to cover are chock full of experiences that people have had with the true and living God. Scriptures are chock full of encounters that people have had with the true and living God. And so this morning, I just want to flesh out some ways that we can experience God. I want to flesh out some ways that we can powerfully experience God. I hope you journey with me uh, as we walk through these very practical things. Before I start this morning, let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your truth. I thank you, Lord, that you are true and living. And not only did you create us, Lord, but you want to interact with us. You want us to experience you in real, meaningful ways. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak truth to us today. I pray, Lord, that you would limit distractions and anything that might distract us from hearing from you and not just hearing but receiving and not just receiving but responding. Lord, I pray that you would go before us this morning and that you would make the crooked places straight. God, fill me this morning with your Holy Spirit. Move the preacher out of the way so that your truth and light might shine through. God, put power on these words that you've given me to speak. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first way I think uh, that we, you know, experience God, this foundational way that we experience God is through the power, uh, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. If you grew up like me in church like me, in a black church like me, you know, I didn't hear Holy Spirit until I was about 18. We said Holy Ghost, right? Those aren't two different things, okay? Those are the same thing, just different cultural, you know, labels. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. It's the way we perceive God. It's God's spirit. It's his presence. It's his essence. And one of my goals as a pastor is to decomplicate uh, some of these basic truths, these basic understandings about God, his nature, and how he wants to interact with us. And so I think we just want to take some of these things out of the heavenlies, bring them down to a low shelf so that we can grab a hold of them. And so God's spirit, his presence dwells within us. The scripture tells us that when we believe, when we believe upon the name of Jesus Christ, when we uh, submit our hearts and our lives to Christ's rulership, when we come to faith, each believer receives a measure of God's spirit. And so, you know, Paul tells us that we can either choose to live according to that spirit or we can ignore it. And some of you say, I didn't know that I had any Holy Spirit in me. I've been saved my whole life. Well, the Spirit of God is in you, but you have to live according to it. You have to lean into it, right? But the Spirit is God's gift to us. It's the living presence of God to be with us and to lead us and guide us. It's one of the most basic ways that we regularly experience God. Jesus says this in John chapter 14, uh, verse 15. He says to his disciples, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans, but I will come to you. And you have to understand that Jesus is talking to his disciples. Jesus knows that his time is short here on the earth. He's got some work to do. Most important among that work is to die for the sins of mankind so that we might be, you know, reconnected with God through forgiveness and through the power of his resurrection. But Jesus knows that he's going to leave these guys. He's been with them for a number of years. He's talked with them. He's spent a lot of time with them. He's taught them. He's instructed them. He's rebuked them. He's challenged them, right? He's gotten them ready to do his kingdom work, even when he leaves the earth. And so Jesus is sort of kind of dropping a bomb on them. He's saying, listen, listen, I'm going to be going away soon, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone just to try to figure out how to do this life on your own. I'm going, when I go, I'm going to ask the Father to send you what he says, the advocate. Another version says the helper. Another version says the counselor. And what he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. God's essence, his nature, living within us, instructing us in the ways that we should live. 
And so who is Jesus talking to? In this passage, he's talking to his disciples. But presently, as we read this, as we engage with these, this text, Jesus is talking to us because we're his disciples. We're his followers. We're the people he's entrusted with doing the kingdom work here and now. And so Jesus identifies who he's talking to in verse 15. He says, if you love me, then obey me. And he's not saying that you love the idea of him. He's not saying you love this thought of there being a really cool deity that's fixing stuff that's broken. He says, no, for those of you who've chosen to love me, chose to engage me, and cho- chosen to walk that out through obedience, this is who I'm talking about. This is who receives the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the indwelling spirit. And this spirit will comfort you. It would encourage you. It will help you. It will counsel you through life's difficulties. It will help you make good decisions. It will help you lean into faith in ways that are meaningful to you and to those around you. It's the ongoing, highly relational, deeply experiential uh, presence of God that dwells within each and every one of us. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. If you come to faith, the Holy Spirit is in you. Now you have to understand that these disciples, this was distressing news. Now, Jesus said this to them over and over. I just think they had selective hearing. It was so distressing to them that they tuned it out. And so they finally come into grips with the fact that Jesus is leaving them, and they're really distressed by this news. And Jesus says this to them in John chapter 16, just a few chapters down. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking me where I'm going. Verse 6, instead you grieve because of what I told you. Jesus says, you're you're upset by this. Jesus continues, verse 7, but in fact, it's best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sins and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Now, what is Jesus saying? Jesus says, you guys are really distressed because I'm going away. And if we would put ourselves in their shoes, we get to hang out with the word made flesh, the incarnate deity. You know, we get to hang out with Jesus and see him do some cool stuff. It removes our insecurities about ministry. You know, Jesus is doing a lot for them. He's taught them a lot. They really have connected with him, and now he's dropping this bomb on them that he's going away. Of course we would grieve that. Of course we would be upset. But Jesus says something very powerful in verse, in verse 7. He says, listen, if I don't go, then the advocate won't come. In other words, what Jesus is saying is like, you get to enjoy me when I'm with you. And that group of people that I preached to the other day in that strange town, they got to enjoy me because I was there with them. But there was only one Jesus right? And wherever Jesus was, awesome stuff happened, but there was only one Jesus. And Jesus says, when I go away, I'll send the advocate that will rest in everybody at the same time. And so all of a sudden, what looked like a terrible tragedy, that Jesus would be going away, turned into a magnificent opportunity for each and every person that follows Jesus, each and every person that will call upon his name to receive, and not just receive once, but to be permanently filled with the indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Friends, that's a good place to say amen. And so when Jesus went away, he sent us the counselor, the comforter. And he tells us in verse 8, what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He will, you know, lead you into truth. He will convict the world of its sins and point us to God's righteousness. Oftentimes referred to as the spirit of truth. God will lead you in his truth. He, the Holy Spirit will become your, your, your conscience. He will become your counselor, right? The Holy Spirit will be your compass for truth. And how many of us, I mean, I can't think of anything I need more now in this you know, world full of spin and misdirection and the political age where everybody has a voice and everybody has a Twitter and everybody has a Facebook account. You get to just shuffle through all this stuff and figure out what's true. What do I need more now than the spirit of truth to tell me what's, you know, what's real and what's not? And so with the spirit of truth is doing for us. He's not parading all these counterfeit things and saying, see, let's study the counterfeit. Let's study the false things and let's study, you know, all the erroneous things. No, the spirit of truth just acquaints you with truth so that, you know, a lie will stand out like a sore thumb. I was once, you know, uh, talking with somebody who worked uh, with the, the, the treasury and he said, listen, we don't spend a lot of time studying counterfeit bills. We spend a lot of time acquainting ourselves with the real deal so that we know a fake when we see it. 
And so this is what the spirit of truth, it's constantly, 24-7, even when you say it's testifying to what's true, it's testifying to what's pure, it's testifying to what's wholesome and, and righteous so that we can navigate the difficulties of life, so that we can treat other people well, so that we can know what's God and what's not, so that we can, you know, so that we can move, be moving in the right direction. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Verse 8 also tells us that it convicts us of our sin. It convicts us of our sin. It won't let us travel wrong without some intervention. It's the check engine light that comes on. It's the brake light that comes on. It convicts us. Hey, hey, you know, you know, the Holy Spirit won't grab the emergency brake and stop you, like, and freeze you so you don't sin, right? It allows you to be you. But the Spirit of God will say, I don't know if that's a good decision. I don't, think, I don't think you should let him stay the night. I don't think you should co-sign on that. No, don't do that. Don't do that. The Holy Spirit is helping you out, leading you and guiding you into truth. So one of the primary ways we experience God is through the power of his Spirit. One of the secondary ways that we experience God is through prayer and worship. Prayer and worship. I mean, could, could have broke those out, but, you know, they, they, they run hand in hand. Prayer and worship. One of the main ways to experience God's presence is through prayer and worship. And in the vineyard, we, we really, really believe in experience-based prayer and worship. It's central to um, who we are uh, as a movement. It's one of our core values. And so sort of just pull these apart for a second. Let's talk about prayer for a second, right? Uh, prayer is simply communicating with God. Communicating with God. Talking to God expressing yourself to God, talking to him. And, and so when I say communication, I didn't limit this to just talking because talking is, 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 is a part of communication, but communication for me is, you know, it's, it's a two-way street. And so some of us, we, we get nothing out of our prayer life because, you know, we, we, we do all the talking and we don't, we don't shut up ever. Let me go in here and pray, Lord, I need you to do this, I need you to do this. My, my son's acting a fool, deal with him. You know, my boss, if you can figure out a way to fix that or, you know, ship him off to Switzerland somewhere, or you fix that and this and that. And so, yeah, in Jesus' name, make it so. Amen. <laughs> All right, that's, that's, I really feel better. About, you know, I got my prayer time in today. Uh, but prayer, is, it's, it's more than that. It's deeper than this. And, again, I don't care if you're 80 or 80. You know, you can communicate with God through prayer. You can make your request made known to God. You can talk to him. And so, you know, I, I think if you hang around church for a while, you get this impression, this false impression that God's looking for perfection, right? Especially if you're in a church where, you know, people try to put on their best. And I don't know where people got this from, but they try to string together their best, most eloquent words uh, 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 to pray and, all, and speaking, you know, praying to God and the King James. You know, it's just strange. We don't talk that way. Oh, Lord, I, you know, I beseech thee today that would you draw near and with thy tender loving kindness and mercy. Your kids come in the room like, who is, who is that? And so I just feel like we're supposed to be naturally supernatural, that we're supposed to engage with God in plain English, and not just plain English, but we're not supposed to hide our, our weaknesses. We're supposed to, in prayer, be naked before the Lord. And listen, maybe you didn't know this, but he, he knows anyway. You know, he knows anyway. And so he just wants you to know, be honest. He wants you to lay your heart bare before him. And so this is communication with God, praying, communicating with God. One of my favorite questions to ask people, these people, you know, when you're a pastor, that people come to you and they're, they're looking for advice, right? And sometimes they're looking for advice because they respect you and because, you know, you're their spiritual leader and that sort of thing. Other times I just think that people want kind of like, a scapegoat. They want, they want to be able to say, you know, Gino told me to do it, and so it must be all right. You know, so one of, my, one of my favorite questions, and I can just tell, there's a lot of discomfort when I ask many of you this question. Somebody say, listen, I got this new job offer in, in New Zealand. They're going to pay me one zillion and a half dollars, you know. Should I go? Okay. Somebody goes, hey, you know what? I'm dating this guy. You know, we're getting really serious. Should I marry this guy? Or, you know, any number of questions. And I, you know, before I launch into any wisdom, before, I, say, I say, what did the Lord say? 
And you could just see the countenance of the face just like they're so disappointed with that question. <laughs> can, we, can we fast forward through this, you know, this preacher stuff? Can we get to the stuff where you actually help me? And I say, what did the Lord say? What did the Lord say? And uh, to a person, they said, well, I don't know. Either they hadn't asked or either in their time of prayer, they, they haven't heard anything. And, and from where I'm from, no answer is an answer. I said, Mom, can I have another piece of cake? And she gives me that look. She doesn't say anything. That's no. That means no. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's no. But so we take that look. We take the silence from the Lord. As, Surely he must be pleased with the decision. I'm going to go and sell my house and move, you know. But the vast majority of people hadn't, haven't, they haven't asked. They haven't prayed about it. Or they've prayed about it, but they've talked to God about it, but they didn't, you know, they left before the shut up and listen part. And so, in my experience, I just found that God isn't trying to play peekaboo, hide and seek with his plans and purposes for you. He desperately wants you to know what to do, what not to do, where to go, what not to go, and how to live your life. And so, it's my experience that God wants to talk to you. He wants to share these with you. But it's real hard to do that if you don't get somewhere and be quiet regularly where you can make your request known to him. We can talk to God and share with him what's on your heart and be quiet and listen so that he can speak to you. And this is really hard in the age of smartphones and tablets and gadgets and all this sort of stuff. There's so much stuff that we'd much rather do. And we, you get clever and start to do a bunch of Christian stuff. I'm, 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 you know, I'm reading some Christian articles and this, that, and the other one. God just wants you to say, turn that stuff off. I got something to, you know, I got something to talk to you about. And so prayer is important, and we really want to press into that. It's one of the main ways that we experience God. Another arm to that is worship, is worship. And worship is simply expressing reverence and adoration to God. And worship isn't just singing, although, and I'll talk about that in a second, it's one of the main ways that we worship God, but worship is a lifestyle. Your lifestyle, the choices that you make, the decisions that you make, the way you live your life, the way you treat other people, the way you steward your resources, the way you steward your body. I mean, this is all an act of worship. Submission, reverence to God. And so there are many, many ways to worship God. Some of you worship through uh, journaling. Some of you worship through art. Some of you like, you know, to be out in nature. But the, one of the main expressions for us in worship is, is musical worship. It's really important to us that we worship God in that way. Oh, almost a third of our worship service is music, and that's for good reason. There are plenty of expressions of worship in Scripture, and one of the, one of the ones that stands out is uh, uh, in, in Acts chapter 16 uh, with Paul and his uh, ministry companion Silas. And for those of you who are here on Friday night, I talked about this briefly. But there's a story in the Bible in Acts chapter 16 of uh, the Apostle Paul and his ministry companion Silas. And, and so they're going about healing people and doing the work of the kingdom. And they heal this one girl, but, you know, they... You know, her freedom comes at the, at the expense of, you know, the people that, that own this woman. He used to, you know, she used to make them lots and lots of money. So they get angry with Paul and Silas, have them beaten, stripped, and thrown into prison. Beaten, stripped, put feet put in the stocks, and now they're in prison. And so what does Paul and Silas do while they're in prison? Do they complain about it? Do they call their attorney? Do they try to, you know, get some of the Christian brothers to come and, and spring him out? No, this is what they do. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. It says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And some of you have been locked up, and you, this was not what you did on that first night you were in there. <laughs> they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening and suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. This is what happened after they got done worshiping. And so I think that worship is one of the great tests for us, particularly when we're in the seasons of life that really cause us to, 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 to you know, go astray or to question our faith in God. Worship is one of the great tests because after all, that's what we were created to do. God created us to worship him, created us to bring glory unto his name. 
And so it doesn't matter, you know, what's going on in your life. Are you, are you a perpetual worshiper? Do you have a worshiper's instinct, especially when things get crazy? And some of us are most vulnerable when life gets crazy. And some of us are most vulnerable when life is really good. Right? Some good happens. What do you want, you want to celebrate, right? Some good happens. You're on the, you know, the top of the mountain in your life. You're, you know, you're probably least aware of your need for God. And so it's important that every season of life, especially the, the tops of the mountains, especially the deepest, you know, cavities of, 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 the, of the valley, that, we're, that we have a worshiper's instinct. And so here, Paul and Silas, they're in jail, they're in prison, and are they petitioning God for their release? Are they petitioning God to rain down fire on their enemies? No, they're worshiping God. They're singing hymns of worship. And so this, they pass this test. Because your worshiping instinct will show you what, you what you're really made of, what you really think of God. If, if God's just this vending machine for you, and when you get something great, you do your little worship dance. When you get something good out of the machine, that's not what worship is. Worship is at every season of life, in every season of the soul, God, you are good. Whether I'm up or whether I'm down, whether I'm happy or sad, at the top of the mountain or the base of the valley, Lord, you are good. You're worthy to be praised. Do you have a worshiping instinct. Do you lean into worship when life gets hard? Do you lean into worship when life is good? Because ultimately you lean into what you worship. You, you lean into what you worship. And some of you worship your significant others because that's what you lean on when life is good and when life is bad. Some of you lean on your wealth and your ability to make a living because that's what you're counting on. That's what you, you lean into that. Some of you lean on other vices when life gets difficult or when life is, is good. What are you leaning on? What are you leaning towards in those seasons of your life? Because that's what you worship. Paul and Silas had a worshiping in, instinct, and Jesus called us to do that. It's one of the primary ways that we experience God. And part of the goals of this church is to teach people how to be worshipers. In every season of your life, every realm of your life, we want to teach people how to be worshipers. And there are lots of things, listen, lots of things that we could lean into, but Jesus wants us to lean into and worship him. And I found that the enemy of worship is not the devil, like the enemy of worship is me. The enemy of worship is, is you, preoccupation with yourself and your life. And many people love God dearly, but they don't worship him, especially publicly, because, you know, I think one of the other enemies of worship is cool, you know, like, you know, on, a, on awareness of what you look like. I wonder what people will think if I clap. Listen, I'm too, I watch the fellas doing worship. Listen, I can see you from up there. You know, you're just too cool, man. You know, this, you know, everybody else is like, oh, Lord, you know, the glory cloud is over the place. And you're, you know, you're like, you know. And I just sort of love to watch the progression as people become more transformed by the Holy Spirit because they start with, the, you know, this. And then about three, four months later, they're, you know, on, 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 and then you, the hands aren't up, but they're just kind of here. And, you know, before it's over, they just, oh, Lord, take me to the glory right now, you know. <laughs> but I found that the enemy of worship is cool. It says, it's like, what do I look like? You know, I don't want to be that guy. But listen, man, I, we are that guy. That's, that's who we are. That's who we are. That's who we are. And so I, one, of the, one of the great gifts that the Lord had give, given me a long time ago when I was a teenager, I, I just understood the value of worship. And early, you know, as a teenager, I just got to a place where I just really didn't care what I looked like during worship. I've always been a person that connected very powerfully with music. And so as I began to get older and be able to perceive God and to really understand that I really connected well with God through music, I just... I just lost my sense of awareness, and I just, didn't, you know, I just didn't care anymore what you thought. You got a problem with my worship. That, that's like your problem, man. That's not my issue. And so I, rem I mean, that really came in handy because when I, you know, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I spent, you know, 18 years of my life in a very homogeneous community on the south side. I moved 
to go to the University of Illinois. It was a huge culture shock for me. Uh, for the very first time, I was, I was kind of on my own, and not to mention the fact that for the very first time, I was really on my own in terms of figuring out, for the first time in my life, I had a decision as to whether or not I wanted to go to church, a decision as to whether or not I would engage faith in, in a meaningful way. And so, I, you know, I decided that I was going to follow Jesus, but I was, I was, it was one of the lowest points in my life. And I wasn't into a bunch of vices, and I wasn't partying. I'd probably been to one and a half parties my whole college career, right? It wasn't my thing, but it was just so new to me. The culture shock was, I just felt so alone. It was just such a low place for me. And I really, when I look back on that, I credit my salvation uh, to this, this really thick binder of CDs that I had. Um, I, I was, this, all I spent my money on as a, as a teenager was, was music. Every, you know, every time I got some money, I would go down to a Christian bookstore and get some new music. And just, I just, God, like, saved me through those songs. A friend of mine had given me a bike when, uh, when I was going off to college, and I would, I used that bike to get everywhere. But I always had a good pair of headphones, and I had, you know, a disc man. Like, this seems almost like saying an eight track, you know, but I had a, I had a disc man. And I didn't go anywhere without those headphones. I didn't go anywhere without that, that disc man. And to those low, dark places where I just, need, I just needed to feel God's presence. I needed him to speak to me. I needed him to sustain me. I needed him to comfort and counsel me. In the midst of just that first year and a half, I just remember just riding around that whole campus, every place I went, listening to that, those, those songs. I had a few Fred Hammond CDs. I had some Beverly Crawford. I had, you know, Matt Redman's The Heart of Worship had just come out. And these songs ministered to me so powerfully. And I just would just ride my bike all over campus, and I would just often just find myself in tears, just crying and weeping, singing along with these songs. And I can't imagine what somebody might have thought as they saw me, you know, riding past, but I just didn't care. Those, those that worship sustained me. It, it really sustained me. It really sustained me. I had a really good stereo system in my dorm room. I, I was that guy on the floor that, that played music just loudly. I, I regret it now because it's, it's really inconsiderate, but you would just hear worship music just blasting from my room, and I would be in there on my knees just weeping. I didn't have any words to pray. I didn't, I didn't even know what to say, but I was just connecting to God through these, through these worship songs. So the amazing things about these worship songs is that many of them served as reminders to me. When God seemed far, the words of these songs were reminders to me that, yes, Lord, you are good. You are good. You're, you're good in your mercy and do it forever. You never leave me. And so I had forgotten that in, in my brokenness. I forgot that because my issues were closer to me than God was. And when I put on those songs, I was reminded uh, of how good God was. And also, those, some of those songs were, 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 were words about God and talking to God. And these people get paid to write good music, and so they're artists. And they can string together words that are beautiful. And as I'm singing this song, my heart goes, yeah, that's what you wanted to say. You couldn't figure it out, but that, that's what you wanted to say. That's what you wanted to say. And as I'm singing these words, it's connecting with how I'm feeling in my heart. Maybe the songwriter's talking about desperation. And, and I'm in a place, I'm in a desperate place, and I go, absolutely, this is what my heart wants to say. And so there was something powerful about that. And I, I'm, I'm standing here today. I'm standing here today because I had a worshiping instinct. God kept me through those songs. And then, you know, a few months later, I learned to play guitar. You couldn't tell me anything. Play what, I, make up some songs if I want to. But I had a worshiping instinct. And it was really the thing that kept me connected to God in, in the darkest part of my life. Do you have a worshiping instinct? Uh, do you have a carelessness, an unfetteredness as it relates to worship? Do you own any worship music? I mean, that's a real question because, you know, I, I know you've got other, lots of other types of music, but do you own any worship music? This is an investment. I, I know people who don't, who don't listen to Christian music outside of church. I don't know how you make it from, from day to day. This is an investment. You know, it's 2015. You, like, you can get these songs for 15, you know, 99 cents each. And if you're really slick, you go on YouTube. A lot of them are there for free. 
But this worship is very important, and the music, the Holy Spirit rides on the waves of a lot of, these mu- a lot of this music. And I'll tell you, give the flip side to that, um, you know, if you put garbage in, garbage is going to come out. And so I'm not one of those crazy guys that say, listen, all secular music is sinful. I don't believe that. But I believe that garbage is garbage. And I just wonder if, if, if you would pass the shuffle test. That is, I had a little iPod hook up from the board back there. I said, just bring me a random phone. Just bring me a random phone. I go to your music, and I hit shuffle. <laughs> would, you, would you be embarrassed? Would, you, would we have to cover the kids' ears? I mean, that's a real question. And some of you wonder, I haven't felt God's presence in months. And, you know, Beyonce is all you listen to. Chief Keefe and all these other clowns. Listen, they need Jesus, but they don't need to be in your ear. I'll call me old-fashioned, whatever. I figured this out. You fill yourself with the Spirit of God. That's what will emanate from you. If you fill yourself with, ooh, baby, baby, come over here, flip it and drip it. and We got kids in here, so I'll... that's what's going to come out. And for the sake of time, I'm going to leave that alone. Do you have a worshiping instinct? Prayer and worship. Uh, time's getting away from me. Uh, another way that we experience God is through his word. And that's just a Christian way of saying through the Bible. Through the Bible. There's power in God's word. It's called God's word for a reason. It's one of the primary ways that he speaks to us. It's one of the primary ways that he engages us. And some of us find it hard to consistently pick up a Bible and read it. Um, sometimes I find it hard. I know that's hard for you to believe. You figure that's what I do all week. I sit in my hammock and I read my Bible. <laughs> that's your picture of me, you know, Monday through Friday, because I only work on Sundays, right? Some of you have told me that. Um, but sometimes I find it difficult to read my Bible. And so the challenge as a preacher, I'll just let you in a second. We, we, don't, we don't get to count our, our sermon prep time as devotion. If we did, I'd be square. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be all right. But, so, but we don't get to count that. That's, that's, that's work. That's like we're pre- preparing. But, you know, sometimes it's hard. And sometimes I look a couple days and go, my goodness, I haven't cracked open God's word. And so I realize that it's a challenge. I realize that it's a struggle. It's a discipline. It's a spiritual discipline to study God's word, to regularly engage it. And some of you uh, struggle with this because you simply, you don't know the Bible very well. You just go, man, I don't, I, I don't know how to read the Bible. Like, where do I start? Like, some of you, just when you get ready to read, you play Bible roulette. You just, Lord, lead me. And you just open it, and you're in numbers, and they're talking about all kinds of weird stuff. You're like, that didn't work. I'm not reading it. <laughs> and so the first thing I would just suggest is that you invest in a good Bible. It's kind of the same, down the same street as, you know, investing in some worship music. Listen, we spend our money on what's important to us. We spend our money on the things that we value. And some of you got the same free Bible that you stole out of the hotel back in 78. <laughs> and you wonder why, you know, life isn't moving along for you. No, invest in a study Bible. I like the Life Application Series. You can get it in a number of different translations. And it's not just the Word of God, but it's got notes in it. You know, half the page is notes. And so you're reading chapter 7, verse 3. You go down to the bottom and it tells you what's going on there. It explains. It gives you some historical context so you can understand what you're reading. Right? And so um, the, a great study Bible is good. Some of you struggle with, you know, what to read on a day-to-day basis. You don't know. And so I would invest in, in, in a devotional. They're devotional. They publish devotional. There's something for every day. You turn to today's date, and there's a reading, and there's some application for it. Listen, invest in a devotional. I personally like the one-year Walk with God devotional by Chris Teargreen. It's one of the best devotionals that I ever have ever encountered. And so when I'm at a loss for what to study and what to read, God speaks to me powerfully through this devotional. And it's dated, and God, it's still God's living word. He can speak to you and get to you. He just wants you to lean into it, okay? So God speaks to us, and we experience him through his word. And one of the last ways that we experience God is through God's people, through other people. That's really important, man. Uh, we're, we're full of God's spirit. We're made in his likeness and his image. And we, frankly, we should just represent him wherever we go. 
We should represent him wherever I go. Listen, wherever I go, the people that are there should experience God just because I showed up. If I'm in the grocery store, you know, if I'm in all, if I'm at, if I'm at the gym, if I'm visiting my son's teacher at his school, listen, I ought to just be spilling God's presence all over that. I'm not talking about walking through there speaking in tongues and like putting oil, you know, on the doorpost. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking naturally supernatural uh, through God's people. And so this is important for many of us because some of you, you're kind of antisocial. You're strong introverts. And you, you know, you don't mind reading your Bible. You don't mind playing your CD in your car. But when you start having to rub shoulders with other people, that's another, that's another deal. You say, Lord, that's where I draw the line. This has gotten wacky. I don't do people, right? But one of the main ways that God chooses to interact with us is through other people. Why? Because we're finite beings. But we're constantly, if we're doing it right, we're constantly being filled by God's Spirit. Infinite supply, right? And guess what happens when you pour something infinite into something finite? It just, it just spills over everywhere. It's, it spills over everywhere. Your kids, oh, looks, I got some Holy Ghost on my kid again. Listen, my wife is spilled on her. I'm a teacher. My whole classroom is in the glory. Why? Because I'm leaking all over the place. And so God has used us to impact others, to help them experience him, and God is using others to impact us so that we experience him. That's a whole other message, but I will keep moving, right? There's, there's, there's an interesting way, though. We talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about um, worship and prayer. We talked about God's word. We talked about God's people. Here's the coolest thing about being a Christian is that there's one place where you can go and get all of that in one. This makes me smile when I talk about it. And I'll give you a clue. You're there right now. You're there right now. Some of you still haven't got it. If you're next to somebody and haven't got it yet, just tell them you're in church. That's what he's talking about in church. You're here right now. This is God's dwelling place. This is this temple where we come to worship him. And so it's full of God's spirit. It's full of God's spirit. Prayers going forth. We were in here yesterday at a prayer meeting praying that God's presence would just fall in this place and just, just transform us. We sang one song. We'll sing some more. Uh, you know, God's worship is going forth. And in that worship, we're training you. We're training you to have a worshiper's instinct. We're preaching from God's word. We're preaching from God's word. And on top of all that, all of God's people are here gathered in this place. It's a unique opportunity, man, for us to experience all the most impactful ways that God wants to experience uh, us to experience him in one shot Christian community. Christian community. But one of the things that I think is helpful to mention specifically about our expression of that, particularly in our context as the Christian community, is that we seek to see God operate and move powerfully, but we want to be completely void of hype and manipulation. We want to be completely void of hype and manipulation. Listen, I've been around the church my whole life. Listen, I know how to conjure up some responses from people. If I wanted to do it, I'd have the keyboard player get on there, and we can, we can whip this place into a frenzy if we wanted to. And so I just think that sometimes we've learned that certain activities and certain expressions are us experiencing God when they just are things that we've learned to get excited about. And so we believe that the Holy Spirit is powerful enough on his own. That he can make you cry if he wants to make you cry. He can make you, you know, dance if he wants to make you dance. You know, he can get you happy if he wants you to be happy. We don't have to pull the puppet strings and sort of make that thing, sort of thing happen. And some of you are like, what are you talking about? And some of you grew up in church, but you're with me. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been in places where you could set your watch to a Sister Jenkins, you know, <laughs> at about 1225. She's going to get up, and she's going to run around. Her wig's going to fall off like clockwork. You could, you, could, you could set your clock to it. 
And the organist, if the preacher is talking too long, he knows just how to rush the thing along, and he'll work them up into a shout. (laughs) So I feel like the Lord can handle his people. And so we want to be conduits. We don't want to make something happen. We don't try to whip you up into a frenzy. Uh, But let me also say, you know, this is a multi-ethnic church. This is a multicultural church. And so lots of people come from places with different ways of expressing. And so we don't want to label everything that we don't understand or everything that we don't like as hype and manipulation. You understand what I'm saying? Because I've been a part of, 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 of churches that were different from my culture, and I heard them labeling some things that I loved about the black church as hype and manipulation. I said, no, 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 no. Have you been to one? You know? And so we just don't get to label things that we don't understand or things that we don't like or things that make us uncomfortable as hype and manipulation, but you kind of know it when you see it, when things are being manipulated and stuff like that. And so we want, in this Christian community, whether it's in this place or in our small groups, we want to let the Holy Spirit do the work and get us to where he wants us to be because, after all, it's God that we're experiencing, and we want to experience God. Worship team, you can come up as I close. I said all that to say that God wants us to experience him. It's one of the most basic of our core values. It's the essence of our shared relationship, mutual exchange of us giving to God and receiving from him through the power of his spirit, through prayer and through worship, through God's word, through God's people, especially all those things wrapped into one when we gather together. And we want to do all that stuff without the phoniness, without the hype, manipulation. And so God has really challenged some of you to lean into these areas. Some of them you do well. Some of them you do poorly. Wherever you, you know, when you leave this place today, I always want you to pledge, you know, I'm going to take one step forward in one of those areas. I'm going to take one step forward in one of those areas. I'm going to pick up my Bible this week. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to read. I'm going to go and buy a devotion. I'm going to download some worship tunes. I'm going to talk to the worship pastors here and say, hey, give me a, give me a list where I want to start with some good, good worship music. Some of you will take Christian community more seriously now because you believe that that's one of the main ways that God has encountered. I just want you to take one step, one step in God's direction today as it relates to this, and you will be surprised. It will blow your mind. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your truth. Thank you so much, Lord, that we can encounter you in a way that is not manipulated, in a way that's not contrived. Lord, you, you just, you want us to be naturally supernatural. You want us to engage you. You're eager to talk to us. You're eager to speak with us. You're eager, Lord, to, to dwell among us. And so, Father, I just ask that your presence would just be thick in this place as we worship you, as we engage in baptisms. Lord, we just ask that your spirit would fall. And for those of us who have just never really felt your presence, Lord, I pray that today the penny would drop and that we would encounter you some for the first time today. Jesus, I ask that you would be near to us, you would draw near to us as we engage you in worship. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.